Good evening. Glad to see all y'all out tonight. Um, just glad to be here and have the opportunity to speak with you. And um, before we begin, I always like to start with prayer. So if you would, just pray with me. Uh, our Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for this time that we have together. We thank you. I thank you for each person that's come out this way and just uh, pray that um, we would just truly clear our minds of anything going on out in the world and we would just focus on you right now. Um, there's so many things that uh, distract us from you and we just need to be focused on you right now and just pray that uh, you would just clear our minds and, and help us to just think and, and focus on you tonight. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So uh, this evening, um, I wanted to ask us to look at um, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, and the title of the sermon is An Itch to Hear, and um, it's kind of a strange title for a sermon, but um, you may be wondering where I got it from, but um, if, you, if, you re-read, if you read the, the verses before you came here tonight, or maybe you've read 2 Timothy uh, 4, 1 through 5 before, you might know where I got it from, but uh, if not, you're about to find out. Um, so before, before we begin, I wanted to go over a little bit of a background uh, around um, 2 Timothy and Paul. Um, 2 Timothy is, uh, you guessed it, the second letter Paul wrote to Timothy, but it's also believed to be the last letter Paul wrote before he was martyred for the gospel. Um, knowing more about Paul's life and knowing this was his final letter before he's killed is in is important context to understand when reading Second Timothy. Um, and if you've read if you've read through the New Testament, um, you know that Paul had a very hard life while preaching the gospel. Um, and you know, just uh, kind of a side note, just uh, so many times I think uh, Christians when we read we read passages in the Bible, if we don't know the context around it. It doesn't mean as much. Um, so if you know a little bit about Paul and his life, and you know how hard he had, um, how hard his life was, you know the meaning behind Second Timothy chapter 4. Um, in, uh, in my small group right now, we're reading through the book of Acts. And... Um, much of the New Testament after Jesus' ministry on earth is about Paul's missionary journeys. And like I said, he had a very hard life. Um, to get a glimpse of the trials that Paul had, um, you can read in 2 Timothy, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 28 through, 24 through 28. Um, he said, Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Um, we, were, we were reading through uh, Acts in small group, and we were talking about the stoning he got. He uh, actually was stoned by the Jews. They thought he was dead. They dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. Um, some disciples surrounded him, and he woke up, got up, went back into the city, got Barnabas, and took off and went to the next town. So he's, he's had a hard life. Um, and then it says, Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, 
dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, and dangers at sea, and dangers among false brothers. Toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing. Not to mention other things, there is a daily there is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches. Like I said, Paul had a hard life, and to understand what was happening to the Christian church around the end of uh, around the end of Paul's life, we need to understand some of the history around that time as well. Um, you know, if you read through the New Testament, you read about Christian persecution, and it's referenced throughout the New Testament. Um, but some of the details in historical documents, paint a much more vis- vivid picture. Um, I was researching about this, uh, this sermon tonight and trying to find out any information I could, could about how Paul died. And I found an article on uh, Christianity.com, and it had a link to an article on PBS.org that talked about what was known and unknown about Paul's death. Um, and one of the things it said it was uh, it said the Roman emperor at that time was Nero. Um, and if you've ever heard of Nero, he was extremely cruel toward Christians. Um, a few things that Nero was known for, and uh, sorry if this is a little graphic, but Nero was known to do the following. Feed Christians to lions during gladiator matches. Indiscriminately crucify and torture Christians. And the worst part I read was in the light, he would light his garden parties with the burning carcasses of Christian human torches. Nero Nero was a very young and extremely ambitious Roman emperor who was not getting his way with the Roman Senate. Um, He wanted to rebuild Rome and sought his own glory with the rebuilding. So this was the emperor in charge at the end of Paul's life. And I don't know if, uh, if any of you have seen the movie uh, or the Russell Crowe movie Gladiator, but the young emperor in that movie comes to mind when I read about Nero. Um, uh, but, you know, while the, in the movie Gladiator, Russell Crowe dies defeating the evil emperor, actual history is not, is not always as true or, or kind to the good guys. So Nero wasn't getting his way in the Senate, and after, um, and after a uh, suspicious fire left 10 of Rome's 14 districts in ruin, Nero used this fire to, to do two things. He, he bypassed the Senate to rebuild major parts of the city like he wanted, and then he also blamed the obscure new Jewish religion, religious sect called the Christians. Um, and, you know, when I was reading doing some research about it too, that it, it suspected that Nero may have had the fire started to accomplish his political agenda himself. Um, and, and not to equate the past barbaric politics of ancient times to today's politics, but um, I remember not too long ago, a press secretary in a recent, of a, a recent U.S. president was quoted as saying, never let a good crisis go to waste. And Nero did not do that. 
Nero began mercilessly persecuting the, the church more, which is right around the time Paul and Peter were both martyred. And it's speculated that they most likely were caught up in Nero's political aspirations. So I tell you all that to say that when we read the last chapter of the last letter of Paul, you understand this was not you know, some just cordial letter to a friend, but it was serious. And the words he used mattered. So um, let's jump into the text and see what Paul wrote to Timothy. But I believe we can also gather some things from his message. So in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5, I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is going to judge the living and the dead. And because of his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. For the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to miss. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. In the, so in the first verse, Paul starts off by saying... I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, who is ignoring, who is, I'm sorry, who is going to judge the, the living and the dead. Um, you know, a lot of people like these days like to use, or they like to sound important um, and, or experienced, and they, um, they like to use language to cover up their inexperience or unproven expertise. But, when, but I think when Paul says, I solemnly charge you, Paul's experience is very proven. And Timothy knows Paul means business. Um, and this chapter was very likely Paul's last instructions to Timothy, who had been one of his most faithful companions. Paul had many people desert him when he needed them, but Timothy was faithful. And even Paul finishes the letter by Timothy, and even though Paul finishes the letter by telling Timothy to come visit him in prison, we don't know if Timothy, Timothy actually made it to see him before his death. So when Paul says, I solemnly charge you, it's important. Next, Paul says in verse 2, preach the word and be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. <clears throat> and like I said before, Paul was at the end of his life and I'm sure with everything going on, he knew the emperor, that uh, this emperor Nero wasn't playing around. And um, if you, if, like I said, if you, if you read the New Testament, you read about Paul um, in all of his missionary journeys, you kind of notice a pattern. Paul would go into a town, preach the gospel, and he would usually convert Jews and Gentiles, and then right behind him or in the middle of it, there were Judaizers who would come in behind him and add to the gospel Paul was preaching and spread a false gospel about uh, faith plus works or the law. 
Um, he would have Jewish religious leaders or Gentile political leaders in the town would come in behind him and stir up trouble. Um, they, usually had, they usually tried to have him in prison, severely punished, and most of the time they just wanted to kill him. Paul would either barely escape or go through some horrible tribulation. He would then move on to another town and then maybe come back to that same town he had just left later after things cooled down. But Paul was warning Timothy to preach the word because he knew others were constantly trying to dilute or corrupt the gospel he preached. And Timothy would have, to, would have his hands full just like Paul and the other apostles did. Paul said to be ready in season and out of season, or be ready any time, not when the time, when the time felt right. Um, when I read this, I, I thought back to a time I recently had when uh, I began to really become convicted about certain the certainty uh, or the certainty of salvation of two people that are in my family that are very close to me. Um, you know, I, I'd avoided talking to him about this. Uh, I, and um, taking any initiative to share the gospel with them. But I'd always wanted, or I was always open to uh, speaking to them if they'd asked it, anything about faith or Christianity in general. And I just, I just never wanted to seem like I was pushing anything on them. And, um, and avoiding it altogether, I'm sure I completely missed op- many opportunities. But like I said, I felt convicted recently, and I began praying about it. And then a few weeks ago, all of a sudden, one day, um, out of the blue, I got a, a group text from the very two people I was praying about. Um, and they, uh, the text was about, you know, just wanting to spend time, more time together. And uh, they said something, and they said something about wanting some brutal honesty. So I thought, well, here's my chance, Right? Um, and I chose to take advantage of the opportunity for brutal honesty and not wait for the deeper relationship. Um, and I proceeded to write a very long text about how I was legitimately concerned if they had a true relationship with God. And I wanted to make sure they had that relationship. And how do you think that went? It blew right up in my face. And they accused me of being judgmental. They threw the typical argument about every non-believer accuses Christians of that I'm acting holier than thou, which couldn't have been further from the truth. No. (laughs) They wanted some uh, feel-good brutal honesty, I guess. Um, But it's it's not what I intended to convey in the text, but... Anyway, the first lesson I learned is, if you can help it, don't try to relay brutal honesty over a text message. Um, And looking back on it, what I should have done was take them up on the offer to get together on a more regular basis, develop a closer relationship where I could more easily begin sharing the gospel. Um, And I think that, that gets back to Paul telling Timothy to be ready in season and out of season. Don't wait for some huge, momentous opportunity, but consistently be ready and share your faith and gospel at any time. Um, 
as Christians, we should, share, we should be sharing the gospel with those around us because we value them and care about them. We want them to have a relationship with God. And we are concerned about their eternal faith. And sharing the gospel should never be a box to check off. Sharing the gospel is a command Jesus gives all his disciples. But it should come from a place of uh, concern and love for those who need to hear it. And I wasn't sure how this was going to go, but just ask you to pray for me and pray for that relationship because right before I left for uh, church tonight I got a phone call from one of those people and it did not go well so um, just just pray for me and pray for that relationship please um, sorry and of course I'm going to talk about that very thing tonight so whew, sorry um, Also, something else that stands out to me in that verse is Paul's instruction of how the word is to be used. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Even though in these letters Paul is instructing Timothy, who was on mission with Paul and being sent out on his own to preach the gospel and establish churches, you know, we are all, in fact, called to spread the gospel. Many times, uh, verses in First and Second Timothy are used for, uh, you know, uh, instruction or description of what a, a minister or an evangelist should be. But we are all called to share the gospel, and there's many things we can learn from Timothy in our own lives and how we spread the gospel. We are to use the word to correct those who are sinning, to rebuke those who are teaching false doctrine. And encourage those who are doing the right things and may be struggling. I don't think uh, we need to miss the point, too, that Paul said to use the word to correct, rebuke, and encourage. Many people then and now use their own ideas to correct, rebuke, and encourage and do not use the word. Those who identify as believers then and now either reject what the word says or spins it and manipulates it to come up with something that doesn't represent what God says, God's word says, or what Jesus said and lived out in his earthly ministry. The apostles that we do know about, along with Paul, would suffer greatly to spread the gospel and were constantly battling. Just like Paul, all the apostles were battling the Judaizers who would who said faith in Jesus and following Mosaic law was required to be saved. They all, fought, they all um, battled the Jewish religious leaders who claimed that Jesus was completely wrong. And they battled uh, Gentile pagans who spread completely false religions. Um, and I was you know, doing some more research. Um, we don't really know, like I said, we don't know there's nothing recorded in the Gospels of how Paul died. 
but it's, um, uh, it's traditional or tradition that uh, passed down that he was beheaded by Nero. Um, and then there's also tradition that says that uh, Timothy was uh, killed by gen- uh, Gentile pagans when he tried to stop a Gentile pagan uh, parade in, in, in a town he was in. Um, so they all, you know, led or had difficult lives and, and um, usually ended pretty badly. Um, but like I said, to correct a rebuke is part of the is part of the charge from from uh, Paul to Timothy. But it's it's never pleasant. But the word of God is the only standard we have to use, and presenting our spin on it or our own ideas about it are not what we're called to do. If the word is watered down or diluted, it will eventually become unrecognizable. <clears throat> and that gets to uh, the next step statement that Paul warns Timothy about. And these, uh, I think these vents come on. It dries my throat out. Carrie's laughing at me because I got two water bottles, but I'm going through both of them. <clears throat> Uh, in verse 3 it says, For the time will come. <coughs> come, come, when people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. When I read that, um, Carrie gave me a book last year about um, call, you know, understanding the call to be a preacher and, and um, just understanding the call, calling in general. But I read that, this verse in there for the first time and how they talked about it. And, um, and I read it again. I read it again several times. Um, but I read it. When I read that, so many things come to mind right now happening in our society. Um, can you think of anything happening right now that fits a description of that verse? There's dozens of things that, that come to mind. Um, but Paul said uh, people will not tolerate sound doctrine. And then says, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. <coughs> Sorry. When you have an itch, it's almost impossible not to scratch it. And our society seems to have, seems like they have a new itch every day. I spend a lot of time talking about all those itches. But what's important to remember is that any teacher that does not use the word is not being honest with you. When Paul says they have an itch to hear what they want to hear, this existed in the early church in Paul's day and exists today too. I don't know um, if you know this or not, but and this is something. This is one of the itches I was thinking about. But I don't know if you know this or not. But we are one of the last few churches in this area that meet on Sunday evening. Most churches in our area and in the U.S. in general have one service on Sundays now, and some don't even have Wednesday services anymore. You know, when did we? <coughs> As the church, 
and I'm speaking broadly as, as far as the church and of America, I guess. Um, when do we as a church decide that church only meets maybe two to three hours a week? If you read the gospel and read about the early church in Acts 2, verses 40, 42 through 47, it says, <clears throat> They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held common things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. I think if we told the church we wanted to meet every day, we'd probably be shut down. Um, and I don't, and I don't, I don't mean to to uh, bring us down or anything. I think uh, this church is very committed. We've got a lot of good people here, and we um, everybody loves each other. Um, and, and it's not the same as churches back then were in small communities. We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere out here. Um, but um, I just, I really think the church in America needs a bit of a wake-up call. Um, I was listening to a video uh, several, I mean, several months ago. Um, it was a missionary from China. And the missionary was talking about everything that the Chinese Christians were going through. They would, they have to meet in secret. They can't carry a Bible in, open, in the open, so they have to memorize all the verses in the Bible. They travel two to three hours to meet in secret. And they recite the verses when they need to, and they sing, but they have to do it in secret. Like I said, if they... Uh, they can either be thrown in prison or they could be fined now. Um, China's got a new thing where if you go into this digital currency now, you can, um, it's a social credit system. <clears throat> they don't really have to throw you in prison anymore. They just take all your money away um, and you'll starve. So the, this Chinese missionary was watching these Chinese Christians and the Chinese Christians were just amazed that Americans had access to Bibles. They could openly worship, go to church. And he asked, uh, the Chinese Christians asked the missionary to pray for them that they would become more like America. And the missionary said, no, I'm going to pray more American Christians will be more like you. In America, we like to think of ourselves as hardworking, independent, and strong. But in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, our commitment to church is waning. When Paul says in verse 4, they will turn away from hearing the truth 
and will turn aside to miss. We are seeing those myths come to life every day, and, it, and to me it seems like we're just spectators watching society continually, continually spiral downward. You can see, and I know the news only portrays the bad things, but you can see examples of this in society that needs, that, uh, that needs a gospel and is spiraling, spiraling out of control. There are many city, any, oh, sorry, mouth keeps drying out. There are many cities that used to be the envy of our country, now covered in drug addict, homeless encampments. Um, I watch a lot of videos on the internet, but there's, um, there's some crazy new drugs out there. I mean, you can see people, they take a hit of these drugs and they can literally pass out standing up. I mean, they're almost, I don't know how they do it. It's, it's amazing. But they're leaning forward on their feet and literally passed out. Um, and some of these cities like uh, San Francisco, San Diego, places in Oregon, I mean, some of the cities that people used to love to want to imagine living in are just covered in homeless encampments and drug addicts. Um, once... There's, you know, and, and also some of these cities, once thriving cities, are, are, we're seeing businesses board up and leave because criminals are allowed to walk in stores and steal anything they can get their hands on in broad daylight. Um, random violence is celebrated and gets clicks and likes on social media. And there are many other examples in society that no longer value morality. So... What can we do while, we're, while seeing all this unfold? Paul tells Timothy in verse 5, But as for, as for you, exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. and Fulfill your ministry. I believe when a society looks like it's crumbling around us, it is more important than ever that we as a church act like Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Devote ourselves to the, te- the apostles of teaching, to the fellowship and breaking of bread together, to, hold, to stay together, hold things in common, uh, minister to those who are in need, devote ourselves to meeting together, and continue to praise God. And finally, Paul tells Timothy to do the work in an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Paul finished his... Paul finished his ministry, and he was now passing the baton to Timothy. In verses 6 through 8, he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. So if I could wrap this up, no matter what happens, we should preach the word, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. Be taught with sound doctrine and not scratch the itches that Satan attempts to distract us with. And turn away from myths and exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship 
and do the work of an evangelist and fulfill our ministry. Would you pray with me, please? Our Heavenly Father, we just, we thank you. We love you for what you mean to each one of us. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for this church and each person in it. We just pray that you would continue to work in us, to, be, to keep us together, to keep us in unity, to keep, uh, uh, to just work through this church and, and help us to work in this community and bring a light to it. We just pray that uh, you continue to, to be with uh, Brother Kerry as he, as he leads this church and uh, just continue to strengthen and encourage him and, and uh, help us to uh, always be ready to listen and, and support him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.